All right, let's go on to your next patient. This is a 77-year-old gentleman who had undergone his original surgical resection of a T3N0 colonic lesion in 2002. He had been followed by his surgeon for several years. In, in January of 2008, the patient was found to have a CEA that had risen from below 4 to 9.0. CAT scan demonstrated a 13-centimeter lesion in the left lobe of the liver. The lesion was surrounding the portal vein. PET scan did demonstrate evidence of periaortic nodal involvement. The patient had an excellent performance status. He was very eager to pursue treatment. And he had been seen in surgical consultation, was not felt to be a candidate for surgery. He was started on treatment with Zelox and Bevacizumab, and he had an excellent radiographic response. He was seen again for reconsideration of surgery and still felt not to be a candidate for surgery. He developed some difficulties with neuropathy and some fatigue during the course of his treatment, and after eight months of therapy, he was transitioned to single-agent capecitabine. The patient had been seeing a number of different surgeons as well as interventionalists for the possibility of cyberknife therapy. And at each point, he was advised to stay on his systemic therapy and that surgical or cyberknife interventions weren't advisable. His performance status remained excellent, and in April of 2009, the patient decided to take a complete break from therapy. He had pretty significant progression of disease over the course of the next five months, and he was started back on Zelox and Bevacizumab. Once again, he had an excellent response, and by January 2010, the patient wanted to simplify his treatment, and we started him on capecitabine as a single agent. And he's continuing on capecitabine with no evidence of disease progression. His radiographic studies are stable. His CEA is about 4 he maintains an excellent performance status and is really doing very, very well. He is KRAS wild type. Any side effects or issues with the capecitabine? Remarkably none. And actually, that became somewhat of a point today because he's literally taking just 1,000 milligrams twice a day. Charlie, any impressions about this man and this situation? Well, I will tell you, he makes an immediate impression. He's a very interesting guy. He's clearly very bright. He's very precise. He almost, again, Phil and I were talking... Listening to him, I thought this guy was in science or engineering or something akin to that because he was so exacting in his description of his disease and his measurements. And he actually corrected us because he's not 77. He's going to be 79 next month. But he looks phenomenal. This guy's in impeccable shape, both intellectually as well as physically. And he clearly wants to be aggressive. In fact, he has been really exhausting both the literature and potential referrals to see whether there's yet another alternative beyond the therapy that he's on, although he's doing extremely well. It's interesting that he's so into this. What kind of work has he done, and what's his life situation right now? He's retired. He was in some form of engineering in the aerospace industry, and he's got a lovely wife that comes with him to his visits. He's a great patient to take care of because he does a lot of research on his own, but he also listens very intently. He doesn't come in with just his agenda of this is what we have to do next. And he has listened carefully in the past, and he continues to listen. And he made reference today how important it is that he take advice from people that know what they're talking about. So you know, this really brings up the issue of you know, long-term therapy, metastatic colorectal cancer, the issue of stop and start, Optimox, et cetera, that's been studied so much, Charlie. Can you sort of update us on where we are? There was a Spanish trial that was presented at the ASCO meeting that sort of added into that. 
What do we know about this issue? You know, you have this man here. He's now two and a half years out. He's been off therapy. He's been on Cape Side being alone. He's it's really the chronic disease model. What do we know about the different options in terms of you know maintenance or long term therapy? Sure. Well, I think this is an interesting area that's an evolution. As you recall, Optimox One looked at the issue of giving a fixed number that is six cycles of Folfox and then randomized individuals to continuing on Folfox or going on to FU leucovorin, that is stopping the oxaloplatin only to be restarted at disease progression. And that looked to be a fairly sound approach, namely that patients' outcome was not compromised by discontinuing or at least interrupting the oxaloplatin alone. Optimox 2, as you recall, decided to take that to the next level, namely after those six cycles simply to stop chemotherapy outright, referred to as the chemotherapy-free interval. In that case, there did appear to be an inferior outcome among those individuals who were randomized to chemotherapy-free interval. So I think what we learned from that trial is that at least if you're only going to give six cycles, stopping chemotherapy outright is probably not a reasonable alternative. At this year's ASCO, we heard from Dr. Tabanaro and colleagues in which they took the approach where patients got basically Zelox bevacizumab and after six cycles were randomized to continuing with that or going on maintenance bevacizumab alone. And what it looks like, if you look at their data, is there is no significant difference between the two arms in terms of outcome. The caveat that needs to be pointed out, and I think Alan Fanuk did a very nice job in his discussion of this result, is that it was a relatively small study, so that the confidence limits in terms of that sort of non-inferiority are wide. So, in fact, although the survival was not significantly different, it was actually about two months difference according to the median. So, you know, I think it's uncertain whether that's a perfect approach or an equivalent approach, but it speaks to the idea of doing bevacizumab as a maintenance therapy alone. What do you tend to do, Charlie? I'm sure you individualize it based on the patient, but in terms of whether or not to combine chemo, either a fluoropyrimidine or a fluoropyrimidine plus, for example, oxali, how do you make that decision? Well, you know, much like Phil did with this patient, I'll typically give a Folfox or Zelox Bev regimen to start, realizing that even in the best of circumstances, you're going to have to stop that oxaloplatin eventually. And I certainly don't do an Optimox. That is to say, I'll usually give oxali beyond six cycles. But at some point, usually four to six months into it, you're going to have to stop the oxaloplatin because of cumulative neuropathy. And I'll stop that drug and continue them on a fluoroprimidine and Bev regimen alone. For those patients who continue to do well on that, I do talk to them, particularly when you're getting into 8, 10 months or plus beyond that of therapy. I do talk to them about whether we should start to peel off some of these drugs. And even before the study that was presented at ASCO this year, this BEV maintenance study, I do have patients in whom, particularly they've been on therapy more than a year, where I have actually stopped the fluoroprimidine and maintained them on bevacizumab alone realizing that the data are imperfect and, you know, it has to be the right patient. It's somebody who's comfortable with that and in whom, obviously, you're going to continue to monitor them for disease progression. 